BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where don't call it a comeback. They've been here for, well, just one year, but they'll be going on to their second year with the Lakers. And that is more than a lot of the other previous one-year rental renegades the Lakers have had in the last few years. And by they, I am talking about the main Lakers holdovers from last season, namely Rui Hachimura, D'Angelo Russell, and Jared Vanderbilt. Welcome back, the Run It Backers. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, continuity. How do you feel about it? How do you feel about the word continuity? I love that word. It's also nice to see it. It's also nice to see it, exactly. Um, Okay, so today we're going to be talking about the returning cohort of D'Angelo Russell, Rui, and Jared Vanderbilt, because in the hoopla of the great offseason that Rob Palinka had, where we mainly focused on all of the new guys, which makes sense. I feel like the guys that we re-signed kind of got lost in the thick of things, and I just want to highlight them again before we head into next season and just reiterate what they can bring to this upcoming Lakers team, because apart from, you know, usually when we have these offseasons, it's the new guys who are going to make or break the upcoming year. But in this sense, it's more the returning guys who are still going to be, who are still going to have the biggest say on where our year goes. And really, the new guys are just there to sort of fortify the, the edges and continue to amplify them, you know? And that's different from where we've been in years past and honestly quite refreshing. So first, let's talk about D'Angelo Russell. And 
you know, there are a lot of, you know, debates about who's going to start, D'Angelo Russell or Gabe Vincent, et cetera, et cetera. I think those are a little bit premature, especially because we haven't had uh, training camp yet, but also premature in the sense that, Tommy, we are coming off of a year where D'Angelo Russell in the regular season averaged 48.4% from the field and 41.4% from three with the Lakers, averaging like 17 and six next to Austin Reeves. And overall, including the Timberwolves, his tenure with the Timberwolves, he still shot 47% from the field and 39.6% from the field. His overall averages are 18, 3, and 6. And you guys already know it. I don't need to contextualize this further, but he was integral in helping us get to the play-in, integral in helping us get to the Western Conference Finals. When he was given the chance to play on ball, he found a real chemistry with Anthony Davis and was probably the best player besides LeBron at finding AD for easy buckets a connection we haven't seen since probably Rajon Rondo. And more importantly, if you took the ball from D'Angelo Russell's hands, it didn't matter because he was also a good off-ball catch-and-shoot shooter. And then on top of that, he also really had great chemistry and synergy with his backcourt mate, Austin Reeves. I posted this on Twitter, Tommy, but did you know that D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves were the most efficient starting backcourt pairing in the league last year? when it came to field goal percentage and three-point percentage. Did you know that? I only knew that because you told me previously. Okay, so Reeves shot 53% from the field and 40% from three-point land. D'Angelo, 48.4% from the field, 41.4% from three-point land. They are the number one in terms of efficiency. Granted, it's a smaller sample size because D'Angelo Russell came in during the tail end of the year, but that is them together, shooting crazy lights out at the point guard, shooting guard position. The next best duos, Tommy, are Kyrie Irving at 51% from the field, 39% from three. Luka Doncic, 49.6% from the field, 34% from three. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, 51-32. Kevin Herter, 48-40. Shea Gilgis, 51-34. Giddy, 48-32. Halliburton, 49% from the field, 40% from three. Buddy Heald, 45.8% from the field, 42.5% from three. Um, Jalen Brunson, 49-41. Quentin Grimes, 47-38. Though Quentin Grimes isn't even a ball handler. So this is the company that Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell are on top of. You know what I mean? And it's just, just kind of funny to me that we... Look, D'Angelo Russell had a sucky playoffs. He faltered at the end. Um, but... The way that we overlook his regular season and what he was able to accomplish next to Austin Reeves and immediately jump to Gabe Vincent might start over him. And honestly, he might if he beats him out in training camp. But the fact that we're even talking about it to me is kind of insane, given the fact that why would you prematurely try and get rid of a 48%, 40% from three guard who plays well off Austin Reeves, you know? Um and with regards to three-point shooting, Tommy, D'Lo and Reeves are one of only four backcourt pairings in the NBA last season where both guards shot 40% from three. Again, Austin Reeves, 39.8%, essentially 40%, and then D'Angelo Russell, 41.4% from three. They are one of only four backcourt pairings to do that. The other three are Halliburton, who shot 40% from three, Buddy Heald, who shot 42.5% from three, Jamal Murray, who shot 40% from three, KCP, who shot 42%. And again, KCP doesn't handle the ball. Um, and then, of course, Steph Curry, 42.7%. And Klay Thompson, 41.2%. That is the company that D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves are a part of. And just the fact that, you know, 
D'Angelo Russell as a whole, it, it's so funny that we, I mean, in, in a lot of senses, D'Angelo Russell this upcoming year is considered as a stopgap, right? Like the asset that we're eventually just going to flip for a better asset when it comes time to do that. Even recognizing that that may be the case or that scenario could happen down the line, gosh, this is one great stopgap asset, I feel like. And I don't feel like I'm overplaying it just because we've been huge D'Lo fans in the past. I just feel like he's being severely overlooked and his role is being severely overlooked for this upcoming season. But your thoughts on what D'Angelo Russell can bring to this Lakers team as he returns, um, yeah, as he returns from last year. So I think that signing D'Lo for $18 million is probably like the most underrated signing of our offseason. I mean, obviously... Yeah. You know, everybody was excited to see what would happen with Austin. Rui had, like, his big playoff run and some big games at the end. And so, like, people were excited to keep him and have, like, a big wing. D'Lo has always been, like, this weird player that for some reason... And and we saw this when he was with us for his first two years, right? For some reason, people really feel, like, an intense need to have a take on D'Lo. I think it's because of his, like, off-court stuff. He's a little bit... He's a fun guy, you know what I mean? It's like, maybe he gives some people the impression that he doesn't take it seriously. Coco 5. Yeah, exactly. You know, here's what D'Lo does. He's played in, you know, he played 71 games last season. He played 65 games the year before. He appears in most games. I think that's, that in and of itself is like, for your start, like a starting caliber guard, like a really important thing. You know, honestly, for a guy who's been in the league for seven, eight years, like, that's like a, it's it's hard to get guys who can stay you know can can stay in the lineup for that long um i i also think it's like way too premature to figure out what's going to happen between vincent and delo for the starting spot i mean it's funny like we've talked about reeves and and Rui and like our other young guys youngish you know mid-20s guys who haven't proven it over a long stretch of time Gabe Vincent has only really had like two seasons in the NBA where he was like a primary contributor for like the Miami Heat. I know he played a, a little bit too in, you know, a few years ago. So maybe three in terms of regular season games, but really in playoffs, like two runs. Um, and he's been kind of up and down. I mean, the thing about Vincent is like, you know what you're getting with him defensively. For that reason alone, it was worth the upgrade over Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. Now that said, Dennis Schroeder was not starting on this team over D'Lo either. So like, I, you know, I think the question of who starts the game and who finishes the game are just like totally different. I don't Mm -hmm. think D'Lo is going to, I don't think Gabe Vincent is going to be closing every game. I think if we're playing with a lead and we need defense and maybe a little like stability, although I wouldn't classify D'Lo necessarily as like an unstable player, like you have Vincent as an option. And I think like 75% of the games just because of that stability and his defensive ability, he is probably going to be closing. But in unless terms it's of, a hot hand approach or something, unless it's, unless it's a hot hand approach or playing from behind. I mean, there's like a number of scenarios, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, they might have to adjust that. So that's not even a lock, but I, I think if you're going to make the argument, that makes more sense. The only way I can see Vincent taking Delo's starting spot is if for some reason, the coaches decide like, starting out games like we're just not able to maximize like Delo starts to struggle and like we're just not really able to maximize his his abilities because of 
Austin and LeBron and AD and Rui and like all these guys who can do so many things offensively in the starting lineup. I think like D'Lo's ability to pass, I, I just like, we can, we can make a laundry list of things that like, I think D'Lo is underrated. And I mean, the dude averaged six assists last year on like a <laughs> three to one assisted turnover ratio. Like yeah. there are not that many point guards in the league doing that. And also hitting over 40% from three, which D'Lo Plus has sharing done. the ball with Reeves and LeBron. <laughs> Plus sharing the ball with Reeves and LeBron. And frankly, like again, for, we just went through a season one point, uh, you know, one and three quarter seasons with Russell Westbrook, right? Like, and that guy has proven so much more over his career, you know, than D'Lo has. But like, yeah, D'Lo in a contract here, coming in off his trade, being traded away from like playing with one of his best friends off the court, like he took he he like took that experience like in such a professional way. I feel like other than the skill development that he's clearly had since we you know since he left us in 2017 like off the court and maturity and like all those things have clearly taken a huge leap i just like delo is going to bring a lot to this team and i think i agree with you it's it's like just premature and kind of silly to get into like the who's going to start who's not going to start and if anything we should all be viewing delo as like kind of underrated i think going into the season compared to what he's getting paid and what he did last year yeah, and I agree with you on that point that if there ever comes a time where D'Lo goes to the bench and Gabe Vincent starts, it's going to be because of usage and where that usage is better allocated, right? But that shouldn't happen on game one of the season, you know what exactly. I mean? Because exactly. we've already seen what D'Lo, Reeves, Rui, LeBron, and AD can do together, you know? And, and in the yeah. regular season, it's 50 and 40, 48 and 41, you know? Like, why would we step on that? Even even if training camp-wise, you're starting to see hints of, you know what? Maybe D'Lo goes better with the bench. Like, let's play a couple of actual regular season games first, is my only point to that. And... Like, my last point on D'Lo is the fact that, and I don't want to make this a Gabe Vincent versus D'Lo thing, but it's so funny just how perception plays into everything. But in the playoffs last season, Gabe Vincent put up 13 points, 1.4 rebounds, 4 assists on 40% from the field, 38% from 3. D'Angelo Russell, with that terrible, terrible Denver Nuggets series, still had better stats than that. 13 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists on 43% from the field, 31% from 3. If I didn't give you the names of who put those up, you'd think that like, you know what I mean? It's it's almost indiscernible. So I just want to point that out. And also the other thing that I want to add is, would you agree that if you took this year's Lakers roster and the new additions that we had, so... Torian Prince instead of Troy Brown, Gabe Vincent instead of Jenna Schroeder, Jackson Hayes instead of nobody because Mo Bama <laughs> didn't play, and year two Max Christie and Reddish instead of an in-and-out Malik Beasley and Lonnie Walker. If you take those guys and put them in the Nuggets series, wouldn't you agree that, one, the Lakers at least take the Nuggets to six games and at best have a good shot at making it to the finals and winning that series? And two, even if you don't believe that first part, I think D'Lo doesn't totally self-combust the way that he did with those other players flanked next to him. You know, even the addition of Gabe Vincent over Dennis Schroeder, I feel like D'Lo would have been able to maintain some sort of offensive cohesiveness by having an off-ball guard in Gabe Vincent next to him versus Dennis Schroeder whenever Ham decided to play those three-guard lineups where, yeah, they needed Dennis Schroeder's defense, but here D'Angelo Russell is just standing in the corner doing nothing. Whereas if you had Gabe Vincent instead... 
maybe D'Angelo Russell still has the ball and he's able to play make and find a rhythm and pass it out to Gabe Vincent for three, you know? And that's not even including Torian Prince flanking him defensively, taking the pressure off, Max Christie flanking him, Jackson Hayes, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, do you agree with that? assessment that if we had Torian Prince, Gabe Vincent, Jackson Hayes, and put them in the Western Conference Finals, that maybe D'Lo doesn't falter the way that he did. I think it was just a very, very bad confluence of events that happened to D'Lo that really cratered him. I agree with pretty much everything you just said. I think like even just Gabe Vincent, because you yeah. know, you 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 bring up the Schroeder comp. Schroeder had to be on the floor. Austin Reeves was dying, um, trying to carry us on both ends. Schroeder was the only one who could like even put up any modicum of resistance against Jamal Murray. And because of that, you ended up in these weird situations, like you mentioned, right? With the three guard lineups and like Ham had to play Austin for the scoring. He needed D'Lo to try to find his footing to make some shots because we needed that offensive, you know, sort of output. And then he still needed Schroeder's defense. Like, but the problem came on the other side, right? you know, on the offensive side, I should say, like Gabe Vincent is unlike Schroeder in the sense that he can play defense, but on the other end, he can effectively be your shooting guard. He doesn't need Mm -hmm. the ball in his hands. Um, He can defend your top perimeter player and stay in front of them and be an elite point of attack defender. But like he does not, he's not going to take the ball out of Delo's hands on offense. And I think that's where Delo got killed. We put him in this whole, this really tough situation. Like you kind of mentioned, right? We're like, he can't guard Murray. That's fine. Nobody on our team could guard Murray last year. But he also can't guard Bruce Brown because Bruce Brown is like too physical for him. And then like you go on the other. So it's like he was screwed on defense no matter who you put him out there against. And then you go on the other end and it's like, okay, well, he is not doing the things that D'Lo does, namely playmaking and creating his own looks off the dribble because he has to play with Dennis who also needs to do those things. And like also, yeah. needs to, and so it's like, like you said, right. It was just like a weird circumstance. And, and I think that played a huge role in, in his output. Yeah. And so, which is why I'm so excited to see what Delo looks like next to this crop of players next season, because it, I mean, we saw the, I don't want to say we saw the floor, but kind of, you know, and so I'm excited to see how Delo can uh, kind of capitalize on what he did and accomplished in the latter end of the regular season with the plane and the first two series where he was a very integral player to this team and how he can rebound from the last series against the Denver Nuggets. So with that said, let's take it to break. When we return, let's close the episode talking about the two forwards that we, we retain, the two young forwards in Rui Hachimura and Jared Vanderbilt. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. 
Hey guys, quick call to action for yours truly, the Lakers Legacy Podcast. If you just enjoy consuming our content, please, please, please take a moment to rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Also, please take a moment to give us a five-star thumb tap on the Spotify app. Just search for the Lakers Legacy Podcast on the Spotify app and click that five-star dial at the top of our page. It's that easy to do. We would greatly appreciate it. It will do a lot in determining the future of this show moving forward, especially as we head into the 2023-24 season. It would mean a lot. And again, at this point, it's the only thing that drives this show. With that said, thank you for consuming our content and please enjoy the rest of the show. All right, so we are back. Uh, Tommy, let's talk about Mr. Rui Hachimura. In the hoopla of our great offseason, as I mentioned, I think we may have brushed over Rui Hachimura's extension. This dude is only 25 years old. We talked about the Western Conference Finals bump for a guy like Austin Reeves, but I think you can say the same thing for a guy like Rui Hachimura, who, gosh, really, really showed out in such a pivotal way for us, especially in the spacing department. So in the regular season, Rui Hachimura averaged 9.6 points, 4.7 rebounds, 0.7 assists on 48% from the field. 29.6% from three, hitting 0.6 makes a game kind of up and down. His role was also very up and down. Now, in the playoffs, he averaged 12.2 points, 3.6 rebounds, 0.6 assists on 48.7% from the field. But here's the kicker. 48.7% from three-point land, 2.4 threes made a game. If you take it back to his first stint in the playoffs with the Wizards, he averaged 15 points. 7.2 rebounds, 61.7% from the field, 60% from three, making two threes a game. I don't know what it is about the playoffs and Rui Hachimura's three-point shooting, but it is a thing, Tommy, to the point where, did you know that Rui Hachimura has the highest three-point percentage in NBA playoff history at (laughs) 51.8%, making 1.3 a game? Did you know that? I did not know that. He does. Next highest is Bob Hansen, of course, at 50% and 0.8 makes a game. And then Myers Leonard at 48.1% hitting 0.9 a game. And then fourth is a familiar face, Steph Curry at 46.7%. But currently in this very small sample, elite company indeed, especially Bob Hansen. Um, But in this very small sample size of two playoff runs, Rui Hachimura is your highest three-point percentage leader in NBA playoff history. All jokes aside, though, if we just look at what Rui Hachimura is good at, mid-range jump shooting, he is fifth on the Lakers in field goal percentage from ten to si- from the 10 to 16 feet range, and he is number one on the Lakers in field goal percentage from 16 plus feet out all the way to the three-point line, essentially prime mid-range spot. And when it comes to the Western Conference run that he just had, I felt like that run really rejuvenated him, and it seems like he found a footing on not just the three-point shooting spacing end, but also the defensive end, and also his confidence attacking closeouts and putting the ball on the floor and attacking the rim with aggression. And so I am very excited about what this offseason means for him as he works out with Phil Handy and even Jared Vanderbilt, because... In the playoffs, Rui played like the best version of not only himself and what we thought he could be, but also the best version of what I would have hoped for from a guy like PJ Washington, who at one point was a player I thought was better than Rui and a player that I wanted over Rui. 
But, you know, and he may still be a better player than Rui in a vacuum, but in the vacuum and context that we're working in with Rui, where he has now been ingratiated into this Lakers system and has gone through the rigors of a playoff run with this team and has fit like a glove with guys like Reeves, D'Lo, LeBron, and Anthony Davis, give me Rui over PJ Washington any day, you know? And so, yeah, what are your thoughts on Rui Hachimura returning? Is there still upside to be tapped here? $17 million a year, you know, maybe slightly rich, but we had him pegged at like $15 million, so not that much of an over overpay if it is an overpay at all. Obviously, there is a little bit of that prove that this playoff run wasn't fool's gold sort of thing going on with Rui, but I really think that from an on-court basketball standpoint and also an off-court mental health standpoint with Rui, I think he's found his place in LA. And I don't want to be super hokey about that, but I really do believe that because, you know, he did take time off with the Wizards to focus on his mental health. And everything we've seen of him here ingratiating himself with the community in LA, we saw him, you know, at Dodger Stadium giving the first pitch. Um, I'm sure he's gone to Little Tokyo and, you know, immersed himself in the Japanese-American community. All of that, I feel like, is culminating in potentially another bump for Rui Hachimura this upcoming year. But yeah, what are your thoughts on what he showed us last year and what you can anticipate from him this upcoming year, even though he may have a little bit more competition to deal with? So I'll start with like the concerns and then I think it's mostly optimism with him. Um, But I think, look, the one concern with him is he's been in the league for four years, including last year, right? There's a reason we got him for three second round picks. He never really like lived up to what folks kind of thought he would be. The concern I have with him is he shot 20, you know, well, we'll round it up and call it an even 30% from the uh, three point land with us during the season, during the like 30 or so games that we had him. In the playoffs, he shot 49% from three. So that is going to regress, right? The question is how much? Is he going to be like a 6'8 guy who can hit 35% from three? That's all we're looking for. The guy doesn't need to hit 45, 50%. Like, obviously not, right? Yeah. He, at that size, we already know what he could do from the mid-range. He just needs to be a, like a legit threat to hit an open three. So the only concern I have, right, is like if you're thinking back, and this has happened in the past, in a contract year playing for the Lakers, Trevor Ariza in 2008-2009, right, he hit, he he appeared in all 82 games. He shot 32% from three. It's a huge sample size. In the playoffs that year, he shot 47% from three, or for almost 48% from three. And obviously that's what led to his huge payday with the Rockets and him leaving us, right? Um, I, you know, I'm not. They're different players. It's different circumstances. It's different contexts. You mentioned Rui has shown stuff in the playoffs in the past. Um, I think his overall regular seasons, even in just four seasons of sort of like, you know, inconsistent play time, he's shown more than maybe Ariza did in his first four years in the league. I, you know, I'm not trying to make that direct comp. I'm just trying to say like we've seen this before and so my concern is that like he he just caught a you know flash in the pan and that was his moment and he maximized it and but that's all we're ever gonna get i'm i think the big thing for rui is going to be defend like defensively can he maintain the intensity that he sort of picked up in the playoffs because 
that's where his real value is going to come. We know he can score better than Jared Vanderbilt. Like it's a kind of a low bar in that in in that you know competition. But like, can he make his defense respectable enough to where his offense just like clearly makes him like the better overall player? You know, so I, I'm confident he can do it. I think like the nice thing about Rui and you know you sort of saw his progression. Like when we got him, it almost was like you know. It, it felt like we were just acquiring a rookie. Like, okay, this guy's barely played. He's just, like, getting his legs under him and, like, kind of learning how to play basketball. And by the end of the season, he was just, like, a killer. Like, he would get the ball. He he was yeah. not indecisive. Like, if he had a lane, if, you like, teams were playing him to take his open mid-range, but he saw a lane, he was attacking the rim and trying to yam it on people. You know what I mean? That, like that, that dunk on Jaron Jackson in the playoffs was the epitome of, like, all the timidness has left Rui Hachimura's body, and this is him, beast mode. So. And I think, you know, and I'll give Phil Handy huge props for that because clearly they were watching the film, and clearly he was telling him, like, when you have this angle, you just got to take it. You know what I mean? You're and faster he, than this fool and stronger than this and fool. And stronger and more athletic. And that was always the thing with Rui is like when he was drafted, he was like known as this like athletic wing. And it's like crazy how quickly that devolved into, you know, his reputation as an NBA player, which kind of became like, oh, he's kind of like Carlos Boozer. You know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> or like he, Brian Cook. Or like Brian Cook. <laughs> I don't know about that. But yeah, you know, so like. So I, I'm I'm definitely optimistic. I agree with you. The 17 million, he has like a lot to live up to. I just I'm fairly confident that that he can do so. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And if he can continue to work on his mobility and agility and moving his feet on the perimeter, that will do wonders for him. It's gonna be interesting to see how he adjusts back to playing a tertiary role because we're not sure whether he's going to start or come off the bench but I don't see him with all the forward competition that we now have I don't see him reaching even 27 minutes a game you know so is he able to still stay efficient locked in and confident in a 25 minute or under role you know but the fact that we have him locked up for three years I think is I think encouraging and the fact that he continues to make himself comfortable with the coaching staff, Phil Handy and all of these guys, I think those are all pluses on Rui Hachimura's end that lead me to believe that he's going to continue to progress. Maybe the stats won't look flashy, but I think we can ask we I think we can expect what Kuzma did for us that championship season where he averaged like 12 points and 6 rebounds off the bench. Or even like an upgraded, elite, higher upside Markeith Morris role, which he did to perfection in the playoffs. He had the highest three-point percentage for our team in the entire playoff run, which is also what Markeith Morris did during the bubble season. So I, I think those are totally within the realm of possibility for Rui Hachimura next season. And overall, I'm just excited to continue to see him grow. Because if the few months are any indication from when we first saw him to what we saw of him in the playoffs. If that's any indication of how much he can progress if his mind and body are right, then shoot, sky's the limit for this guy. Because if you remember when Jared Vanderbilt, when we traded for Jared Vanderbilt, there was a couple weeks in there, Tommy, where we were like, uh, Rui Hachimura is probably not going to be resigned, right? He seems expendable because of what Vanderbilt is showing us. And then... That totally flipped by the time the playoffs came and we totally saw Rui Hachimura morph into this like three and D forward who's pretty versatile, but mostly can also space the floor. So very excited to see what Rui Hachimura has in store for us as a Laker in year two in the purple and gold.
So lastly, Tommy, let's talk about Jared Vanderbilt, his forward counterpart. Vanderbilt is extension eligible. I'm not sure what you'd feel is a fair deal for him right now. Uh, Do you think the Lakers should explore an extension with him? Vando is still only 24 years old. Uh, For me, maybe three years, 13 million a year seems sort of fair, especially if you're taking into account the new NBA and the upcoming balloon CBA. But we do have a forward glut somehow uh, now, and some hard decisions are going to have to be made. Um, because Vando is the least offensively polished player out of the that forward crop, and coupled with the fact that he is on an expiring contract, all of those things probably make him the player that Lakers fans are more ready to dispose of or throw to the back burner of their minds. But I think we need to be reminded of what a tremendous, intangible, Swiss Army knife-type player Jared Vanderbilt is, because... Even taking it back to his first debut game against Golden State, shoot, man, it was like he was shot out of a cannon. He was like a breath of fresh air for this Lakers team. And he instantly infused us with like a life and energy that was so sorely lacking since we had Alex Caruso. Except Jared Vanderbilt is like taller and longer than Alex Caruso and more athletic. And then there was the Dallas Mavericks comeback where we came back from like, what was it, 30 points or something? And... Jared Vanderbilt single-handedly got momentum got momentum back on our side with his hustle, multiple steals, his blocks, his transition breakaway dunks. He was the definition and epitome of motor and hustle. Yeah, to, again, to the point where there was a moment when most Lakers fans thought Rui Hachimura was expendable because of Jared Vanderbilt. And then even in the playoffs, you know, like he was so important against John Morant in the first round and... He was also important guarding Curry and all of the switching that we did against Golden State's guards and shooters at times in the Golden State series. Obviously, he lost his utility because he wasn't able to space the floor. He was mucking up the floor and the paint for guys like LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But you need a guy like Jared Vanderbilt to overcome the course of an 82-game regular season because he is that energizer bunny, hard-nosed, gritty type defender and athletic player who will guard the other teams, the opposing team's best primary initiating scorer and ball handler, whether it's a guard, shooting guard, wing, or forward. Maybe not forward, actually. It's funny that I'm more comfortable with Jared Vanderbilt guarding wings down to the point guard than I am of him guarding power forwards to bigger centers. But that's just who he is. And, you know, I understand why people may be getting off the Jared Vanderbilt train until we see what happens with him extension-wise, but to me, I think it's also important to remember his utility and how valuable he can be to this Lakers team because in the worst-case scenario at his floor, he is a less offensively skilled Alex Caruso at the 3-4 and spot, and he supposedly is now 6'10 or 6'11, and pictures seem to align with that fact. I don't know what that'll do for him or us, but... If this dude comes into training camp with any semblance of an improved jump shot where he hits that baseline three-point shot a little bit more consistently, then that will be a huge game changer. But even if it isn't, I still feel like a guy like Vanderbilt is very valuable. It remains to be seen how valuable he is on an expiring contract and how long the Lakers are willing to commit to him with Rui Hachimura already in fold. But your thoughts on the return of Jared Vanderbilt? I think the big key for Vanderbilt this year is, like you said, the corner three. He needs to be able to 
be somewhat of a threat on offense. The nice thing about his game and the thing that I think is underrated, you know, and, and I'm not trying to compare him to like our undrafted rookie two way guy, Alex Fudge, but like Vanderbilt can do things, not necessarily shooting, but like with the ball in his hands, like he can dribble, mm-hmm. he can pass his playmaking. I think is surprisingly underrated. He averaged like yeah. two and a half assists last year for a six, nine power forward who doesn't really have the, ball in his hands that much um he's a great connecting piece playmaker he's a connecting piece playmaker and you mentioned the defense the on the extension question that you raised earlier i i think for me it's and this might be end up being something that burns us but i would take personally a wait and see approach i think mm. we have lebron we have Rui. you know i'm not eh, if we lose Vando, it's obviously like it's not. And we, Torian Prince is only here for a year. Cam Reddish is only here for a year. We could go from having a forward glut to like having not enough forwards again. So like it might right. end up burning us. I guess I'm just we've seen players like Vanderbilt, like second round project athlete type players who just have never taken that final step. And I think like, you know, notwithstanding like Vanderbilt could come in and not improve, be improved at all as a shooter he could still be an incredibly, incredibly valuable piece for us over 82 games over like the playoff run type games. He has his, he's more of a utility player if he can't shoot. Right. He's he, it's impossible for him to be like a primary rotation player on a team with LeBron and AD who they themselves are not like elite shooters. Like it's just not going to work offensively. And we kind of saw that last year. He got play, you know, he had a really strong first round, he sort of got played off the floor. I think at times against like the Warriors, there was a little bit too much screening for him. And then against the, you know, Nuggets, I think he got out like a, a little bit like overpowered. Um, so it's like, you know, he kind of, he knows what he needs to improve. I think he, you mentioned the growth. I always think one of the funniest offseason talking points is like these 24 year old guys are suddenly growing like two inches, but I guess we'll see what happens <laughs> um, with his height. I'm not really worried about that. I think he needs to bulk up. Um, and I think like, you know, we've talked about the corner three will be kind of critical, but you know, the, if literally he came in as exactly the same guy, but all he did differently was he rebounded better. I, I still think even that he, he clearly serves a really valuable function for us over 82 games. Um, and I don't know about, you know, again, we've sort of talked about this with d and Gabe Vincent, like between him and Rui, I don't it doesn't really matter to me who starts and who comes off the bench. I mean, Rui is going to be taking the bulk of the minutes, but you know, Vando is, is uh, he has some things to prove, but we already know it. He can do. So it, it's like exciting to kind of see like, is he going to be able to hit that upside offensively? But even if he doesn't, he's still like a, a fine piece at four and a half million or whatever we're paying him. Yeah, and I think just maintaining the versatility at the forward spot is essential because there are going to be injuries throughout the season and the fact that you can just slot guys in, they'll give you sort of different things, but they're all essential, whether it's Torian Prince, even Cam Reddish, Jared Vanderbilt, Rui Hachimura. It's like we're fortified at that position. And if you look back to the 2019-20 bubble championship, I mean, we had JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, Kyle Kuzma, Markeith Morris, right? Like, essentially, we're just sort of mimicking that in a sense, right? With Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura. It will be interesting to see where we come, where we land and net out with regards to his extension. For me, it's like, if you can get him at 10 to 12, I think you just do it just because 10 to 12 million may be the new, 
you know, kind of premier bench player in the new NBA. So even just maintaining that asset, I think will be good. But again, it, I, I agree with you that it should be wait and see approach to see how he's progressed, at least in training camp. But I wouldn't be mad if we re-signed him and kept him under that same three-year timeline as we have Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura. But yeah, with that said, D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura, Jared Vanderbilt, we are glad that they're all back and they are hopefully going to continue to even show us how much they've improved from last season. With that said, follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app and the Spotify app. And yeah, we will catch you guys next time. So Tommy, I will see you later. Peace. Laters. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 